But I would like to just get right into Daniel chapter 7. This is the dream of the four beasts. We'll read the opening verse. um, And then I'm going to talk about when this happened. So let's get right to it. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. When he was on his bed, he saw visions in his head. And then he wrote down the dream by recording the main points. So uh, I think that Daniel's telling us there was a lot going on. You know, um, uh, if you've ever had a vivid, vivid dream, uh, I had a recurring dream as a child that my school was underwater and I was swimming from classroom to classroom and to this day I can remember details, but I don't think if I put together all of the things I could write down, I would encapsulate all of the different scenes and emotions and colors, the blue-greens and so forth, of, of that recurring swimming through my school dream. And I do not want anyone to ever tell me what it means. Um, uh, but Daniel got the gist of it written down. But look at the date. The first year of King Belshazzar. Do you remember King Belshazzar? We met him, right? And what did you say about him? He's dead. So when does this happen? Yeah, and actually not that many years before. This is one of them. Yeah, because this happens in what year of King Belshazzar? The first. the first year. So Daniel's gone back in time to the first year of King Belshazzar. The last verse of the chapter, I hope you can stay for the whole class today, because we're going to discover something in the last verse that is amazing when you compare it to when we last saw King Belshazzar. But what do we know about King Belshazzar? Which king was he? He was the what king of Babylon? The last. That's what we should have in our head. His dad was the one who spent all of his time in Las Vegas. Remember? Or the Babylonian equivalent of Las Vegas. And Belshazzar was the regent on the throne when dad was off somewhere. It was Belshazzar who saw the handwriting on the wall. And this is years before. This is when he first came to the throne. So Daniel had a bad dream at the beginning of Belshazzar's reign. And that would be chapter 5, verse 6, if you're tearing through your old notes looking for it. But we'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it, I promise. But where does this fit, oops, um, in the whole uh, 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 gist of the book? I thought we should just spend a minute on this. This is the entire book, uh, chapters 1 to 12, and kind of sort of like what happens So chapter 1, the captivity. Chapter 2, the dream of the kingdoms. That's the statue. Um, Chapter 3 is the fiery furnace. Chapter 4 is the vision of the tree and Nebuchadnezzar's madness. Chapter 5 is the handwriting on the wall. That's the Belshazzar chapter we've had. Chapter 6 is the lion's den. Now we go backwards in time, back to the visions. And we have one in chapter 7 of the kingdoms. Next week in chapter 8, we'll have the vision of a ram and a goat, which I believe are the second and third kingdoms of the statue. But we'll get back to, we'll worry about that next, as Jesus said, tomorrow has enough, today has enough worries, let tomorrow worry about itself. Um, Chapter 9 is the great, chapter 9 is one of the great chapter 9 chapters of the Bible. 
In several books of the Bible, chapter 9 is a, is a magnificent prayer. So 1 Kings 9, Solomon prays. Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah prays. Daniel 9, Daniel prays. So it's one of those great chapter 9 prayers. We also have uh, this thing about the 77s. Chapter 10, there's a vision of a man. In chapter 11, there are the kings of the north and the south. And in the last chapter, the shortest one is the end times. So it's been Aramaic ever since chapter 2. Then we go back to Hebrew again. And the subject matter, or the subject of the chapter, rather, is in the beginning, it's Daniel. Then we kind of focus on the kings, and now we're back to Daniel. So when some commentators look at this chapter, they think it goes with the end of the book. But I have to say, I kind of think it goes with the first part of the book, partly because if you look at what I have on the screen, and it's on your sheet as well, the ABC-CBA pattern is, did you get a sheet, Judy? Okay, we've almost gotten started, so welcome. Um, is that we have a dream of kingdoms, that's the A section at the beginning and end. Then we have God preserving his people with the fiery furnace in chapter 3, and the lions then in chapter 6, those go together as the B section. And then this thing about the, uh, the end of Nebuchadnezzar, the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar, and then the downfall of King Belshazzar. That's the C section. Nebuchadnezzar's downfall did not end with his death, but Belshazzar's did, because Nebuchadnezzar did what? He repented. So, do you see why? And also, if we take this as being four different kingdoms in this chapter, it's going to be really confusing. But if it's the same four kingdoms as in chapter 2, we're going to find great comfort and discover all kinds of wonderful things about our God's plan. Um, so I'm going to take this chapter as being equivalent to chapter 2 um, with regard to those kingdoms. Everybody okay with that? I kind of recognize that when you're in a, in a chapter of the Bible like this that's some pretty deep prophecy, um, my instinct is always to kind of nod along with the teacher. Like, okay, good, yeah, tell me. And unfortunately today I don't get to do that because I have to be the one up here talking. So... All right, keep me in your prayers as the class goes along. Verse 2, Daniel said, During my visions at night, I was watching and saw the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. The sea in visions is often a picture of the non-spiritual world, the regular world, the political world, the world of... Wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms, that's the sea. How do you get from A to B in the world? Well, you get into a boat and you sail. That's typically what the sea will mean. Or it can be a reference to fear. Um, in the book of Revelation, for example, when God finally comes and steps on the sea, what happens to the ocean? It becomes like glass. So when God comes, all of our fear is over and so forth. And in heaven, there is no longer any sea. So those, you just, just let that percolate a little bit in your brain. Um, but here it seems to be these four kingdoms come out of the sea. And four large beasts, verse 3, were coming out of the sea, each one different from the others. Let's let an old artist give us, do you see the blowing winds on the top of the 
thing there, and we have the uh, kind of a lion critter on the left with a couple of wings, right? And there's a bear there eating stuff, and, and then next to him is a weird uh, four-legged rooster with leopard heads and wings. Um, I'm not sure he should have rooster feet, however, but he has wings. And then uh, 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 whatever it is on the right, right, with lots and lots of horns and fangs and I don't, he's got, are those cloven hooves and whatever else. So the Bible doesn't say cloven hooves, but an artist has got to draw something, right? But let's go into the actual text. So chapter, verse 4. We have four verses in four kingdoms. I've tried to give you a decent picture. And the first one is the one that I know is absolutely correct. The first was like a lion. It had wings like an eagle. I kept watching until its wings were plucked off. Then it was lifted up from the earth so that it stood on its feet like a man. And a man's mind was given to it. Have you seen that picture before? Do you know where it comes from? It comes from the entrances and the doorways and the palace walls of the kings of Assyria and Babylon. And with the kings of Assyria, it often had the feet of a bull, but Nebuchadnezzar changed it slightly and gave it the feet of a lion. This is Nebuchadnezzar's personal symbol of himself. And, huh, it's the first kingdom. You remember the statue? Who was the golden head? Nebuchadnezzar. It's, and that's a clue as to who these kingdoms are. That we can go back to chapter 2 and look at that statue and now maybe we can, let's see if we can equate the other kingdoms with what's being said. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, in the end of the verse, what do you see happening to Nebuchadnezzar? Its wings were plucked off. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, he went nuts. He lost his mind. And then he was lifted back up again. So God raised him back up. And guess what? He lost his mind, but his mind was given back. So this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is in the court, speaking the court language of Aramaic, sharing this vision. And that's our Nebuchadnezzar. We recognize that probably. Second one. Then another appeared, a second beast that looked like a bear. Persian bears are probably brown. This one is a black bear because of what I could find on the line. Forgive me. Um, it raised up on one side. Three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and this is what was being said to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Now the reason why it would be raised up on one side um, one commentator that I respect a lot, not of our fellowship, said that this is maybe about to pounce. But to me, that's not so much being raised up on one side as it would be like starting to get up. And uh, 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 Professor Jeske, who wrote the People's Bible, thought that maybe this is more a nod that one of the two kingdoms was more important than the other one, dominated things more. And who's the second kingdom? Do you remember? The Persians, and actually the Medes and the Persians. And it's the Persians that seem to be the dominant one. So maybe it's the Persian side kind of lifting up, and the Medes kind of not so much. That's, that's what Jeske kind of thinks, and I'm okay with that. But the ribs, it, it's... 
You know, if it's eating and it's still got ribs in its mouth, that means that once it's finished one meal, it still wants more. Right? Have we all raised teenage boys? Even if I say, save that one for your brother, is that always going to happen in my household? No. Um, I almost have to hide food sometimes if not everybody's there for supper. Because uh, they just eat and eat and eat and eat, and I can't fill the fridge fast enough. Don't give me food, though. It's okay. I'll, I'm handling it. Um, but arise. So this thing is just eating and eating and consuming, and that's the Persians. Third, am I going too fast? After this, I kept watching, and another beast appeared, which was like a leopard. It had four bird wings on its back. Forgive me, I, there are only two on this slide. The beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. So we go from that, well, four heads, right? Uh, who's the third kingdom? Greece. Greece was already starting to have interaction with uh, the Persians around this time. Um, it wasn't exactly the Macedonians like Alexander the Great, that's going to come later, <clears throat> but some of his ancestors and the Ancestors of his father Philip were around and Greece was starting to, to do things and to move around. And the thing about the Greeks is they had, wow, did they ever have the ships. So the Greeks were able to move around quickly. And uh, uh, if you're talking about fearsome animals, I don't know if anything gets scarier than a leopard. Because a leopard, unlike a lion, won't make itself known until it's already got your head in its jaws. Leopards tend to attack from above. Um, leopards are silent, they're dangerous, they're deadly, they're mean. Uh, they don't care if their prey is dead before they start eating it. They're really vicious. And uh, so a leopard with wings is, ooh, that's just scary. Um, and then a leopard with four heads there are different ways of looking at, at that. Um, it, the, a traditional view among our, our, I'll say our circles, is that that would probably be the four kings who took over after Alexander the Great died. So you had a guy who took over up in um, Asia Minor, a guy who took over way over in, um, in the, the Hindu Kush area, uh, uh, what am I thinking of, uh, uh, India, a guy who took over, a guy named Ptolemy who took over in Egypt. And then everybody else who was a king in Egypt after him is named Ptolemy for a couple hundred years. And a guy named Seleucus up here in Syria. I, I say that as if I'm in Jerusalem. The Seleucid kings who were on the throne until the Romans took over. So those four kings. But another interesting way of taking the four heads is not specifically the four who took over from Alexander. Although that's a perfectly valid understanding. But it could be simply that rather than a kingdom, what's bigger than a kingdom? It could be an empire. And that would describe Alexander's kingdom as well. This is not just a kingdom. It's kingdoms all under one thing, and therefore it's an empire, like a leopard with four heads. And that's, that's a fascinating way of looking at it without necessarily saying that it has to be Alexander's four generals. But there's nothing wrong with either one. So forgive me if I give you multiple valid explanations here. Um, what I do not plan to do today is to give you any incorrect heterodox explanations of anything. 
And the reason for that is when I took classes on, you know, Daniel and Revelation in school and in, in seminary and summer school and so forth, our, I, I found that when my professors would give us um, the false views of things and lay out why, like some Reformed churches say this and these guys say that, is that that gets jumbled up in my brain so much that I forget what's the right answer sometimes or, the, or an orthodox answer. So I'm not going to do any of that today. If you have a question, why do these people say this? I'm not going to know the answer anyway. I'm not those people. And I have enough trouble studying you know, the text as it sits. So I'm, I just want to give you valid, but sometimes valid alternative explanations. Is that okay with everybody today? All right. That's my plan. After this, seven, big long verse. I kept watching the night visions, and another beast appeared. The fourth beast was frightening and terrifying and very strong. And notice that Daniel is starting to give us emotional words. He's going to do this for the rest of the chapter. He's going to start telling us how he felt almost as often as he tells us how things looked. Now, when I read this chapter, I have to confess, I often jump over how Daniel feels. Yeah, yeah, you were sick to your stomach, you were terrified, your appearance changed, you were, your knees were knocking. And okay, but, but Daniel tells us those things and maybe we shouldn't jump past them, but understand this affected him in a big, profound way. How do we feel when we wake up from a nightmare? You know, it, well, or bothered for the rest of the day because the memory of the nightmare, you know, stays with us. And yeah, so Daniel... He's upset about this. It had large front teeth. Frightening beast. Strong beast. Big teeth. It devoured and crushed. Its feet, it trampled whatever was left. Now it was different from all the beasts that came before it. It had ten horns. What are we talking about? Forgive me, I decided to make a picture. So, uh, I... So I, I didn't know what to do. I, I, but this thing tramples, big teeth, it devours, it's got a lot of horns. Do not ask how long it took me to make that picture, but I made it myself. But it took a long time to get the, the background and the pose and everything. Anyway, I'll just, never mind. I was thinking about the horns when suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them. Three of the horns that had already been there were uprooted to make room for it. In my lifetime, I think of my grown-up teeth taking place of my baby teeth. You know, the little ones come out and then another one comes in or whatever. This kind of happens. I noticed eyes, like human eyes on that horn. And it had a mouth which was speaking boastfully. So this horn, by the way, I've got a picture. So... Uh, some of the other horns have vanished. One other horn comes in in the middle. I have another picture, though, that it mentions the eyes and the mouth, and that's this interesting picture I didn't make, I found online. Um, so, and it speaks boastfully. And Daniel just kind of thinks about that for a while, like, what does that mean? Uh, so fearsome, unlike the other animals. It's got horns. Horns are the symbol of what? Strength or power, yeah, exactly. And this thing, it's got 
10. Most animals that have horns have how many horns? Two. It's got five times the number of typical horns. And even if you count antlers, it, it, that's a big rack, right? And maybe they were all separate horns. I don't know, but it's big, big thing. Um, uh, there, 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 were, uh, there was a dinosaur called a Styracosaurus that has all kinds of horns. It's like a triceratops gone crazy. Um, got all kinds of things. I don't know if that's what it was or not, but Daniel, Daniel's going to keep going here. <clears throat> I continued to watch until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days was seated. Huh. His clothing was white as snow and the hair in his head was like pure wool. His throne was flames of fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. Um, all of a sudden, who shows up? God. How do you know it's God? This is the first time that phrase occurs ever in the Bible. How do you know it's God? But this is the first time this occurs in the Bible. How did, how did Daniel know who this was? How, does, how did Daniel's readers know who this was? Um, actually, the, the term ancient of days only occurs three times in the Bible. Twice in Daniel and once in Revelation. That's it. Um, and, uh, but Daniel has this other hint for us. Uh, clothing as white as snow. What does white clothing probably represent? Purity. And what does white hair usually mean about a person? Margaret. Possibly, but everybody else would agree that white hair is also a symbol of wisdom. wisdom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now she's blushing. So, okay. But, uh, but yeah, wisdom. Uh, so, holy, wise, ancient of days, and throne, flaming. Um, what did we learn this weekend about fire and God? What do we call that when out of the darkness or out of the cloud we see a bright light or fire? It's the what? The glory of the Lord. Yeah, the glory of the Lord. The, 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 if you're on the wrong side of the glory of the Lord, that's law. But for Christians, the glory of the Lord is gospel. And in fact, when the glory of the Lord shows up, it's a specific gospel message that especially points to Christ for our sakes. So when you've got the glory of the Lord, look for the best news possible. Okay? That's one way of looking at the glory of the Lord. By the way, wheels, blazing fire. Wheels? What other book of the Bible talks about wheels? Ezekiel. When did Ezekiel live? Now? This is... I. I I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't calculate the, the years, but it wouldn't surprise me a bit if... Uh, no, this is a little bit later than Ezekiel, actually. Daniel having the Belshazzar vision would be a little bit later than Ezekiel's first vision. Because Ezekiel was, was, you know, came with, with exiles and so forth. Um, but, but not much longer. So this is a typical of this kind of literature where you suddenly see God on wheels and wheels imply what kind of transportation 
quick, efficient, every direction, whatever. Um, in Ezekiel, it's always straight lines. In Daniel, I think it's rapid. You know, and by the way, blazing fire, wheels of fire, um, kind of scary stuff. Um, although we do see wheels and fire, one other place where it's not the glory of the Lord. Elijah. Yeah, yeah, Elisha's watching it, but the, the chariot of fire uh, and, and so forth. So if all of those things are contributing, I'm not sure about that. Um, um, can I go back to this horn, though, for a minute? What was the fourth kingdom? Probably Rome. Um, and the emergence of the, of the little horn? The little horn is not Jesus because it speaks boastful things and it's going to lead people astray. We're going to find out more about it later. The little horn is probably the Antichrist. Now, I just want to say something. It's on your sheet. According to negative critics, they pick up on the Persian and the Greek references and they like to say, oh, Daniel must have written about when the Greeks came so maybe 200 years after when we think Daniel lived. However, this prophecy would have to be 500 years after Daniel lived. Can I just say that if you follow negative criticism and their logic down to its natural, logical conclusion, the book of Daniel cannot have been written until after the book of Daniel is quoted in the New Testament. I'm just saying that if, I, if I'm, if I'm going to go down that road... I'd better go all the way down that road. So, okay, uh, where are we? Ten, right? A river of fire flowed out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. Uh, thousands upon, well, thrones, first of all, uh, God ends what was going on. Um, sometimes I remember as a child, my brother and I would have the toys out in the living room playing with G.I. Joes or whatever, right? But dad would come in and say, it's time for the game, pick up the toys. And dad would sit in what chair? The best chair, which was eventually my house a recliner. And I always think about this, like, okay, we're the kingdoms. We've got stuff going on. But then dad comes in, and he's got the big chair, and we have to pick up our toys and go because it's the end of that playtime, right? Isn't that kind of what's going on here? God shows up, and he takes his throne, and all the other kingdoms are kind of at an end and everything. And by, by the way... In, in, in this verse, the thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, that's a perfect parallel, synonymous parallel image, image. And therefore, those numbers can't be taken literally. Um, we would say what if we saw a mass of angels? Could we number it? Probably not. We would say whatever you grew up saying, or lots and lots, gobs and gobs, oodles and oodles, gajillions and bazillions, or whatever it is. Big, 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 big numbers. Huge numbers. That's what, that's what we've got going on here of angels. The court was seated. That means court is in session. session. That's how we would say it, right? The books were opened. What books? 
Yeah, records of what? Yeah, of us, right? Mankind. This is our judgment day. Yeah, this is judgment day. Judy, question or just scratching? That's allowed. Okay. Questions are allowed too. 11 and 12. I kept paying attention to the sound of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. I kept watching until the beast was killed and its body was destroyed and thrown into the burning fire. Three deaths. Killed, destroyed, thrown into the fire. Um, German has a way of saying not just killed, but killed dead. You know, this is certainly absolutely ended, isn't it? Killed, killed, killed. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion had been taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a set period of time. Ooh, ooh, ah. The other kingdoms. So Babylon, Persia, Greece, no longer kingdoms, but are there people still around? Yeah. What happened to the remnant of the Babylonians in Mesopotamia, of the Persians over in Iran, the, the Greeks up in Greece? Where kind of where have they ended up? The people are still there, aren't they? The, the Persians are still living in Mesopotamia. The, the Babylonians are still living there. The Greek, there are still Greeks who live in Greece, and many of them have become Christians. Uh, not all. Many of them have become Muslims or something else, or 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 or, or uh, uh, what what have you. But um, they're still around, you know. So yeah, the kingdoms are crushed, but they're still around. And by God, by God's grace, given a chance to come to faith, that's the the key. That's what God wants us to do. So their lives have been prolonged. But I just want to say this before we uh, kind of pause. And that is that little horn, the kingdom of the Antichrist, the church of the Antichrist. Does it retain its form after Judgment Day? No, dead, body destroyed, thrown into the burning fire. So, uh, does the, I'll call it the Church of the Antichrist, does that tell us what heaven will look like? Do we superimpose the one on the other? No, because the Church of the Antichrist ceases to exist at Judgment Day. By the grace of God, can some people come out of that church and be rescued because they had faith in Christ and didn't know or didn't listen to all of the lies of the Antichrist? Yes, there can be, but that church is not the shape of heaven. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.